Core exercises strain the muscles in your pelvis, lower back, hips, and abdomen to work in harmony. In fact, most sports and other physical activities depend on stable core muscles. The Bible affirms that bodily discipline has some value. It is a good thing to do core exercises to keep fit. But did you know that spiritual fitness matters more? Plus, you can actually do spiritual exercises that strengthen your heart and soul for God. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. According to Paul, these disciplines actually make a difference in how you live both now and in eternity. In the final hours before his death, Jesus talked straight with his inner circle. And in this talk, he laid out how his followers can self-discipline themselves for godliness after he left. Fortunately, the gospel authors, including John, kept a detailed summary of what Jesus said. We can study and practice what Jesus outlines. We can actually learn from the ultimate trainer, Jesus. If we will pay attention, he will teach and tell each of us how to strengthen our core. So get ready to build spiritual muscle. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the disciples don't have a clue about what is coming. The crucifixion of Jesus will initiate a sequence of events that will culminate in his return to heaven. And the interim between advents started that night. Jesus provided precise advance notice, that's John 13, 19, of what is about to begin. He says it's coming shortly, John 13, 33. It's an interim of separation. And we are living in this interim in which Jesus has ascended and we're waiting for him to come back. But on that night before his death and later ascension, Jesus instructed the 11 and us about the interim in which we're now living. He provided information that confirms his plan is on track. He said, let me tell you what's happening so when it happens, you'll know. He said... I'm telling you these things to give you reason to celebrate. You can actually sing during this season, as we have done this morning. And he explains, I want to tell you information that will help you not stumble. In other words, this message, this upper room discourse, was actually designed to give us bold trust, not fear, fullness of joy, not despair, and rock-steady faithfulness, not falling away or getting tripped up in the interim in which we now live. Well, all of that is what we talked about last week when we considered one heart. I love him. And love rocket-propels obedience. This morning, we're going to talk about one way. I trust him. And following his direction is the smart play. Now, this concept of one way is actually discussed in 36 verses in the Upper Room Discourse. It's found in 10 different passages. And John 14, 1 through 6, is one of those key passages. Follow along. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John 14, verses 1 through 6, as I read. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, let's unpack this passage a little bit, shall we? Let's try and understand what Jesus is saying in this verse. Now, he, the very first thing he says is, do not let your heart be troubled. And the word be troubled is the verb terasso. Word terror <laughs> uh, actually is derived from this word. So he's basically saying, don't be terrorized. This word is actually found in another passage in Matthew 14, verse 26, where the disciples saw him walking on the sea. Remember that night? And they see him coming toward them. And they were terrified. That's Tarasso. And said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So when Jesus says to them, don't let your heart be troubled or don't be terrified, what he's saying is, you remember the lake? You remember what your response was? You were freaking out. You were having a panic attack. Don't do that. Now, those are interesting words, are they not? Because in a few hours, they are going to see Jesus be betrayed and then taken to the cross. And they're going to see his body go into a grave. And everything they thought about what was to be is going to come crashing down and they are going to have every reason it would seem to have a full-on Tarasso panic attack. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the right response. That's not what you need to do. He says, do not be terrorized. But then he says this, believe in God, believe in me. The antidote to terasso is pistuo. That's the Greek word believe. He's saying, don't panic, trust. This is actually a vice virtue contrast. There are many of these in the Bible where he says, don't do this, do, do this. Don't panic, do trust. And by the way, trust is a present tense, which in the original language tells you it's both something to do, but also it's a process. It's something ongoing. He's saying, don't get panicked. Be trusting. And then he explains the object of this trust. What are we supposed to trust is going to happen? And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. In other words, what he's saying is, don't panic. Regardless of what you're seeing, don't panic. Trust me. Trust Father. I'm actually leaving. This is kind of the countdown. I am departing this earth. Forty days from now, you'll see me leave. But what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to heaven, and I am going to prepare a place for you. I am actually going to outfit a dwelling that is perfectly suited to you. And once I've got it finished, I'm coming back for you. Do you get the implication, by the way? Your home is with Father. It's not here. This is not my home. I'm visiting. I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. So are you if you know Jesus. But this isn't my home. My home is with him. 
and he's coming back and he is gonna bring me home. Can't wait. Someone might protest. In fact, someone did, named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't know the way. <laughs> now, this is what's interesting about Jesus' response. He says, yes, but you know who. I am the way. Trust me. Trust Father. Live out of a trust in who I am in who we are, even when you're unsure of where you're going. Jesus knows the way. I don't have to know the way. Jesus knows the way. Listen to this passage. Now, this is a passage also written by John. An angel was talking to him, and he was describing those who were going to be living in the tribulation. I don't know if that's some of us here or not, but things certainly look like they're going in a bad direction. Listen to what John asked an angel, and listen to what he said. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the, the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will be their guide. And the word guide, by the way, is a, is a, a combination of the word hados, which is way, and hegeo, which is lead. He'll be the way maker, the way marker, the way leader. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus knows the way. For even those who are tribulation saints to be able to take them into the very presence of Father... In which case, I think it's perfectly legitimate to ask the question, can you trust him for the lesser stuff? If you trust him with the ultimate trip guidance, he's going to take us into the very presence of Father, and he knows how to get there. He knows how to take us there. Then how much more the day-to-day? -day? If God says something is good, it is good. And if he says it is something bad, it's bad. We can be so easily deceived. Let me take you back to the first day or the first season of human history. This is in the garden. And the woman was being deceived by a snake. And this is what we read. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And by the way, so did her husband. She actually thought that eating this fruit was a really good idea. My life will be so much better if I eat this fruit. I mean, it's got food, it's got nutritional value, it's pleasant to look at, and I'm actually going to become wiser if I will eat it. Wrong. We have a guidance problem. Proverbs says this twice. You know, sometimes there are things in the book of Proverbs that are said twice. Same identical wording, and it's designed to get our attention and help us understand it. This is one. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We can look at something and think, oh, that just makes so much sense. And we're wrong. 
He's our perfect, perfect guidance solution. Elsewhere in Proverbs, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The best source of guidance is Jesus, his Father. They will get it right every time. Uh, remember how we used to use maps a long time ago? Some of you don't remember because you're, you're not old enough, but we used to use maps, you know, to go on a trip. And then they invented this thing called the Garmin. Now, initially, it sometimes, you know, might take you into the middle of a lake, but they figured it out. And it had, and it eventually took you places that you thought, I would have, I don't know that I could have even found this. In fact, now we don't think anything of it. Hey, just, you know, send me your address and we plug it into our iPhone and away we go. Jesus is better than GPS. Jesus is better than your iPhone. Jesus can guide you perfectly to what you would not be able to figure out how to get. That's how good he is. Now, I've asked uh, Thompson to come up. So, Thompson, come on up. And Thompson's going to help me a little bit to illustrate this principle for you. So, anyway, so how you doing? Good. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to hear it. So, what we're going to do is I've actually hidden some treasure uh, here in this sanctuary somewhere. And um, I'm going to give you an option. You can just go ahead and go look for it, or I can guide you there with this laser. Which would you prefer? You to guide me there. Oh, good call. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm going to do then is I am going to uh, turn on this laser. Now, by the way, I'm not going to shine it at any of you. This is a very powerful laser. It wouldn't be good. So we'll start with it up there in the ceiling. But then what I want you to do is I want you to follow, get as close to that laser beam as you can, and see if you can find some treasure. Uh, okay? Is okay. that sure. going to work for you? Sure. By the way, why did you choose to have me guide you there versus just see it on your own? Well, because it's a lot easier. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's try this out. Here we go. All right. So there's the laser beam up there. Can you see it? So get as close to you as you can to it. Okay. Good man. Good man. All right. Just follow the green. Ooh, what you got? Come on back. Okay. Um, give that to you. Okay, so what you got here? Uh, two quarters. Uh, yeah, it looks like two quarters, doesn't it? Yeah. But actually, these are quarters that are uh, from the 1950s. So they actually have 90% silver in them, which means they're each worth about $5, okay? Now, hang on to that for a minute, okay? And those are yours, and I've got two more. So I'm going to give you four of those. And let me, so what you have there is the equivalent of a coin in the biblical world called a stator. Uh, this is the same 
coin that's called a shekel in the New American Standard. And look right there. Let's read that passage together, the, very, the one that's number eight. Can you read that with me? Yes, sir. Go, Go to, to the, the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me, Matthew 17, 27. Very good. Well done. So what happened there is Jesus knew the exact location of the equivalent of those four coins. Those four coins equal a shekel, which represented actually two days' wages for like a carpenter or something like that at that time. And Jesus actually knew where Peter could find those the same way I knew how to show you where they were located here. That's the kind of guidance that God gives us. It's just like laser guidance. So I want to trust Jesus with his guidance. What do you think? Yes. Good answer. <laughs> Thanks so much. This is, I want to give you an exercise that you can do that will help you to grow your trust muscles. Because Jesus says, don't panic, trust me. Yeah, but I don't know how to get there. You don't need to know how, you just need to know who. So when you encounter a dawning challenge, don't fixate on what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. God loves you, and God loves you with a perfect love. Let me uh, tell you a story about something that happened to Rochelle and I. About 10 years ago, our son, our oldest son, graduated from law school. And right at that time, he was diagnosed with cancer. And it was serious cancer. We uh, had to run more tests and so on to figure out what we were dealing with and what needed to happen. But he had a mass about the size of a fist right behind his sternum. And uh, we embarked on all the processes and so on, and I will just tell you, he's doing fine. But in that moment, when we found out, you know, I was thinking about different things, what we would do and, you know, what I'm going to do next week. All of that disappeared, and we were just shrouded in this fog. All I knew in that moment was I might lose my son. I'm reasonably confident that there are people in this room who have got some fog. Something that might make you panic. Something that might make you anxious. Maybe you have a loved one who is walking away from God. Maybe a family member is facing a, a daunting medical challenge. Perhaps you've been slandered or betrayed by someone you thought was your friend. Perhaps you are dealing with a profound disappointment. Or maybe you would say, I'm carrying around a wound. Jesus has an answer for you. It's the same answer he gave to his followers, which was, don't, you don't have to know why. You don't have to know the way. All you have to know is who. In Proverbs, we read this. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord means the character of God is our safe place. 
And so what I want to do is actually give you an, an illustration that I think will help you to be able to not focus on the why or where, but the who when you're in the middle of a challenge. Now, I mentioned that when we receive the diagnosis, your son has cancer, it's very serious, we think it's treatable, but there's always a chance. When we were in that fog, it reminded me of an incident that occurred many years before that. Rochelle and I were driving on Interstate 5 in California, going north from LA where we lived to visit family in Washington State. And there's a section of Interstate 5 called the Grapevine, which is a bunch of these large winding turns that eventually end up taking you to the Central Valley floor. And as we came to that floor, this was early in the morning, I don't remember what time, Rochelle was driving, I was in the passenger seat next to her, but we could actually see this layer of fog at the valley floor. And as we came down the grapevine and came into that fog, we could not see. It felt like we couldn't see a foot in front of the car. But something happened. Right as we went into the fog, two taillights blew past us. It was a semi. And because the driver was above the fog, he could actually see. Well, my smart and quick-thinking wife, what she did is she immediately pulled behind that semi, got as close as we dared, but not so far that we lost sight of the taillights. And we went for about 100 miles like that through the Central Valley, just following the taillights. Now, let me explain to you how these taillights are really a great image of how you can trust in Jesus even when you don't know the way or the why. Let's say that this light represents perfect love, the one on the left, all right? Jesus loves us with a perfect love. Let me explain that based upon his character, okay? God loves us. Jesus loves us. But what if he wasn't omniscient? If he didn't know everything? Uh, Jim, I really want to help you out. I think I'll do this. Whoops! Didn't know that was going to happen. But no, he knows what he's doing. He loves me and knows what he's doing. Yeah, but what if he needed to get permission from the board of good stuff and he had to file forms in triplicate? No, he's sovereign. Okay, so he knows what is in my best interest and he has the right to do it. But what if he doesn't have the power to do it? Oh, Jim, I know exactly what you need. I wish I could help you. No, he's omnipotent. He has the power to do what is in my best interest. Yeah, but what if he's off helping somebody else and not with me? He's omnipresent, which means he could not be more fully present than he is with you right now. Yeah, but that's all well and good, but I don't deserve it. Oh, but he's gracious, which means he is willing to love me in spite of who I am, not because I've earned it. Yeah, but, but I need something right now, and he's patient. He will choose the optimum timing. 
Yeah, but all these things you've told me about God, what if they're not true? No, he is veracity. He is telling us the truth about himself. In other words, what this is saying is God loves us with a perfect love. He has the power to do what is in your best interest. He has permission to do what is in your best interest. He has the knowledge to know what is in your best interest. That's who our Father is. That's who our Jesus is. There's a question you might ask, which is, yeah, but how do I know he loves me? Oh, that's this one over here. This is the cross. The cross is the proof that you are loved. So when I encounter something where I'm going, I don't know what to do. God says, yes, but you know who. I love with a perfect love. And I love you. The cross is your proof of that. So what I like to say to people is, remember the taillights. When, you are, when the fog has descended, remember the taillights. He loves with a perfect love, and he loves you, and the cross is the proof of it. He could not love you more than he already does, as demonstrated by the cross. I'm going to turn the lights off, but not just because I don't want to mess up the video or something, but... Just remember, they're still going. He is still loving you with a perfect love. The cross is the proof that he loves you. Follow the taillights, no matter what kind of fog you're in. Now, I need to clarify something. If you compare John 14, 1, in which he says, do not be terrasso, to John 12, 27, just a few verses before, Jesus says, I'm really Tarasso about Judas. Judas is going off to betray me, and I'm Tarasso. In fact, in John 12, 27, we read this. Now my soul has become troubled. Tarasso. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I, was, I came to this hour. I came here to be Tarassoed. Why is Jesus telling the disciples not to be troubled when he is troubled? Oh, here's a wonderful truth. Jesus came to this planet to be troubled so that we don't have to. He took our place. And this underscores a second sense in which Jesus is the way. He's not just our way marker. He's not just our laser that guides us to the smart choices He's not just the one who loves us and loves us with a perfect love. He is our way maker. He is the one who's actually made it possible to dwell in the presence of Father. That's who he is. Now here's a passage, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, that's our word, hadas, when he says, I am the way, hadas, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is our way maker. He shows us how to move through life. He shows us 
how to transit the places that are terrorizing. But he's also made it possible for us to live in God's presence. He is our way marker, but he is our way maker. Do you realize we can actually bask in God's presence, cleansed, purified, because Jesus made a way through the wall by experiencing the terrifying wrath of God in our place. I need to add one more thing to help you understand the concepts here, and then we're going to acknowledge something that is the connect points between this and communion. Jesus is our only way maker. He's not saying, I am the way, as a normative statement, but an absolute statement. What's a, what's a normative statement? Well, a normative would be like birds fly. Well, most birds do fly, but there's an occasional penguin in the mix that doesn't. An absolute statement would be all birds fly. And that's not true in that case, is it? But when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, he uses the definite article, I am the way, which makes it an absolute. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other way to salvation but Jesus Christ. Would you like to risk your salvation on some rival who didn't come from the Father? Pick whatever religious leader you want to. They didn't start out with Father and come here. How are they going to get us back? Only Jesus has done this. Only Jesus has come from the Father and made a way for us to join him in Father's presence. There are not many ways to God. Let's put it this way. There are not many ways to God that will work. There's only one. Now, this way, unfortunately, is not used by many. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, we read, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way, hadas, is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus is the way. But the majority of people would just as soon live life their way. And it will not work out well. So is Jesus your way maker? Is Jesus your way maker? Jesus has opened a way. He's made it possible for us to actually dwell in the presence of Father. Will you use that way? My last assignment was in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and winters there were something to behold. And I remember on occasion when I would drive uh, back to Memphis for a week or so just to experience some uh, not minus 40. <laughs> and one of the things I would do uh, before I would come, I'd pick a day when it wasn't blizzarding, and I would drive to Mr. Car Wash. And Mr. Car Wash, most of the car washes up there have an undercarriage wash that cleans all this salt and junk off the car so that you don't have all this rust coming with you. 
If you want to begin a journey with God, I advise starting at the car wash and getting an undercarriage wash. And here's the verse that tells us about it. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you want to take the way that Jesus has made possible, it begins by saying, I need you to clean me, to wash me. And I am choosing by faith to embrace Jesus as my way maker and my way marker for the rest of my days. Now, I don't know if everyone in this room has done that, but I want to give an opportunity for any who haven't to do so. Basically, what you would be doing is via prayer, simply saying, Jesus, I believe you are the way. And I'm asking you to cleanse me and guide me as my Savior for the rest of my days. Well, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who wants to to pray that prayer, and then I will pray for all of us. Let's bow our heads. And if you have never declared Jesus is my way, you could pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I deserve separation from you. But in this moment, I believe, and I truly believe, that Jesus has made a way for me to dwell in your presence. He died on the cross And he is washing me of my sin as a pure act of grace. I trust Jesus as my Savior in this moment. And I will live the rest of my days following him as the way to live. Father, for all of us in this room, help us to follow the taillights. There are circumstances that people are facing right now and they don't know what they're about or where they're going. But they do know who. They know who you are. They know you love them. And they know that you love with a perfect love. And I pray that you administer encouragement and joy and peace to their hearts right now. I pray that everyone who came in feeling the tug of Tarasso, feeling the tug of panic and anxiety would leave filled with peace because they've done just what Jesus said. Believe in me. Believe in my Father. We've got this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you would, you have a a cup, I'm hopeful, that is the uh, communion elements. And I'd like to explain to you how this cup actually connects to the things that we've talked about so far. So if you would, first pull out the bread. The bread, Jesus says, and it happened on this upper room that he did this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Think about what we talked about last week. We love him madly because he loved us perfectly this body is a love letter basically what he's saying is this is how much i love you 
to give my life for you. And so when you partake of this bread, one of the things that you are going to say to, you, to one another, and we're going to do this out loud, is I am loved because this bread says so. There's a second thing that this bread says. It represents his work as our way maker. By his substitutionary death on our behalf, we will someday dwell in Father's very presence. He is the way. We trust him. And so what I want us to do, and I, I explain it one more time, is we're going to partake of the bread, and I want you to say this before you do. I am loved. I trust him. And then we'll partake together. You ready? Here we go. I am loved. I trust him. Then if you would take the cup, here's one of the things Jesus said in this meal, this upper room. It says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. You get that? Jesus is saying, I am not going to do this ever, until we do it together. Jesus is waiting for the right moment when he will make the way and we will be at this incredible supper, unlike anything you've ever experienced, in which we will see millions and millions from every tribe and tongue and we will partake together. So when Jesus says, I'm not planning to drink this, until we do it together. Jesus has not. He will not eat this meal and drink this wine until he has come for us. He will come again and receive us to himself, and then we will feast together. And so again, we will say, we trust him. Are you ready? We trust him. Let us partake together. Let's pray. Thank you for loving us enough to take our place and make a way for us to live in God's presence. Thank you for your sure promise that you will someday come and bring us there where you have prepared a heavenly home for us to live for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.